Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wandering Bear Sports Podcast Series, the number one sports podcast series on planet Earth. It's exceptionally good to be back. Everyone looks fantastic. I hope you all haven't missed me too much. Um, but yes, I've been, I've been MIA for a little bit. I've been, we are in the midst of our shoot shield season. And as is the way during rugby seasons, as, as I'm sure anyone that's ever coached anywhere knows, it's an all encompassing, um, type of journey and job. And I've been really putting everything I can into that to make this year as good as possible. Uh, as is the way in the 2020 eras, there's been some interesting challenges. Um, and I think we're just going to get, have to get used to that, you know, change. The only consistency is inconsistency. Let's just put it that way. So we have a cracking podcast for you guys today. I was so excited to talk to this guy. He's he's an absolute legend. And before I introduce him, I just have a I just have a couple of thank yous I need to make. So f- firstly, um, I want to thank the Cummins family, Sal and Chris Cummins. And the boys, Tommy, Jack, and Bill, and Cara uh, of Breakout River Meats and Cara Lamb, um, they've been absolutely wonderful supporters of me throughout this whole podcast and uh, probably, if I'm being honest, my entire life. And I just want to thank them. So They do a lot for all sorts of people and have been very supportive. You've probably seen their trucks driving around. It's Breakout River Meats. If you see Carol M in any butcher shops, get around it. It's um, it's a quality. Yeah, it's quality. I don't know what else to say about it, guys. They're, they are absolute quality people. Carol's a lovely place, and, and I've sampled much of their meat, and it is spectacular. So, thanks to those guys. Um, they help. They help set this interview up. As as they've, Chris has been long term friends with Royce. Uh, I want to thank my mother, the coffee van lady. Some more free advertising for you, mother. Um, if you would like to add caffeine, caffeinated drinks, milkshakes, she does everything, barbecues, catering, to any events, she'll go anywhere. She's awesome. Um, and thanks to her, I'm well and truly addicted to caffeine as well. But check her out at the coffee van, Linda. Uh, she's one of the very few coffee vans I've ever been to that takes coffee very, very seriously. And when I work for her, if I don't make it to a standard, she makes me tip it out and do it again. So she's that level, uh, which is, from what I've seen, very rare in the caffeine van world. And while we're on the subject of caffeine, the uh, the Chubb family really are a caffeine uh, empire, aren't we? So I just, uh, I've just got to make a quick mention. I, I don't want this whole thing to be about advertising. I just got to make quick mention of my company, Caffeine Gum Australia. We've just hit the NRL. We've just hit the AFL. We've just hit cricket. We're in netball. We're in kayaking. We're in rugby. Uh, check it out. It's awesome. It's caffeinated chewing gum. It is batch tested, so it is suitable for semi-professional and professional athletes. Free delivery Australia-wide. Three great flavors. And... It's got caffeine in it, so it's highly, highly addictive and awesome. And it supports this podcast and helps me get up every day and do whatever the hell I like to do every day. www.caffeinegumaustralia.com Okay, 
I was so excited to talk to this guy. And, you know, any, anyone that knows me well knows I'm not a big rugby league guy. Um, but I knew who Roy Simmons was. And I didn't do a huge amount of research for the podcast. I Googled him a little bit and looked at some old stories and talked to my Uncle Chris about him a little bit. And the guy is an absolute living legend. <laughs> like to to put it simply, like his footy career, his personality, some of the stories, um, the fact that he would sit down for an hour, uh, take time out of his life, and talk to someone he didn't know, and just share some some quality stories, just says a lot about the man. I have this is probably my funnest, definitely my funnest podcast I've done. He's had an incredible career as a player. He's also coached at the highest levels. Played for Australia, played State of Origin, won premierships with Panthers, and uh, he's just a really cool guy. And it was an absolute honour to speak to him. So, uh, one of the reasons that we wanted to do this podcast is he's doing a big walk. Um, I'll make sure that I put all the links. He's he's doing a big walk to raise money for dementia, and we talk about it at the end of this podcast. And um, I'll make sure I put all the links to it in the notes for this show. Make sure you check him out. Um, he's a living legend, and I had the time of my life talking to him. So enough dribbling from me. Without further ado, please enjoy this extremely fun and entertaining and insightful podcast with the great Royce Simmons. So I, I, nice to meet you, mate. Very uh, thankful that you're doing this. Thanks to Chris for setting this up. Uh, I've been very excited about this. So thank you very much, firstly. Mate, just just a bit of background on, on the podcast. So it, it's kind of a, a personal education tool for coaches. So I, I know I know you've had a, a long coaching career, but um, you're one of the rare coaches that I've get to speak to that also had a distinguished playing career. So I've got to talk about that as well. Yeah. And, and I kind of jump all over the place. So just bear with me and, and we'll just roll through as we go. Oh, um, Mate, firstly, how, how's your morning walk? I know you're, you're training for a big walk coming up soon. Um, have you finally got some sunlight out at, Pen, out at Penrith? Are you still at Penrith? Yeah. Yeah, no, mate, I've just, um, I just, I was actually started the run at the back end of the walk because I don't, didn't know if I'd get back in time for, for, the, for this meeting. Uh, I, um, I headed off at six this morning and, uh, and, um, Done about four hours up through the mountains, yeah. So it was. It was how, how many k's are you covering in four hours? Oh, about twenty. Okay. I, I do a little bit of with um, during it. I break into a few little jogs too every now and then. I might, you know, run a k here and a k there, um, just uh, just to get the k's up a bit more. But don't do too much running because I'm a bit scared of breaking down. So, I feel you there. I don't want to break down. I don't want, I don't want a knee going or you know an ankle going or something before I do the walk. You know, so mate, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the big walk that you're doing a bit later. But firstly, I got to ask you, mate, how did a bloke from Goolagong end up at the Panthers? So how did all that come about? Um, well, I, I went to St George for a trial originally in about nineteen. 78. Um, they were my old side. I 
I love to follow and watch and all that sort of thing back when Langlands and Smith and all them played. Um, a cousin of mine, Graham Sim, has actually played a few first grade games for him, but played second second grade. And, and where I live at Goolagong, um, Barry Beef, that everyone would know, he played in the grand final, made a grand final win for St George and played with all the greats, you know, as I said, you know, Langlands and Smith and everyone goes on. So I was a keen St George supporter, but I went down there and had a trial and they politely said, go home. So I did. I went home and I had another, another couple of years up in the bush and, uh, and then I got asked to come down to South Sydney. I had, um, I had some friends that down in South Sydney who, you know, knew the coaches and all that at the time. So I got invited down and I moved down to the Coogee and lived at the corner of Rainbow and something else street there. And, uh, I lived with blokes like Peter Tunks and, um, and uh, Grant Jones and uh, um, different, different couple of different players, but a lot of my mates from Cara. I lived there for a while and I trialled I trial with South, but this time I went down and trained with them. So I trained for the two months before Christmas, had a week off over Christmas, then trained uh, after Christmas again. Did You know, obviously got set up really well and um, I was just about ready to play my first trial for South and I got a phone call from Len Stacker. Len was the coach of Penrith at the time. Um, and he'd been talking to a friend of his called Barry Rushworth, who went away in the 1963 Kangaroos with, you know, that was one of the great kangaroo sides that went away, one of the best ever. So um, he, he went away on that. And he was actually uh, playing up at Lithgow as a captain coach and he lived at Lithgow and so on. So he said, uh, to Lenny Stacker, there's a player up here I think could go all right. So Lenny actually come out to South Sydney and watched me play my first trial match. And at the end of the game, he approached me and said, um, oh, look, Royce, um, I've been recommended. By, you have been recommended by Barry Rushworth. And, uh, and um, you know, I'd like you to come and have a trial with Penrith. And he said, we've got a trial next week. And I said, oh, listen, mate, I've seen the paper. You've got a trial tomorrow. I said, I'll come tomorrow. He said, oh, well, you've played today. And I said, oh, you know, nothing young. So I went out. And for South, I played in about a fourth or fifth grade trial. And then I went out to Penrith and I played in a second team trial. Uh, and at the end, uh, then sat on the bench for first grade. And with about 15 minutes ago, I got put on in first grade. So I've gone from the sort of bush to playing first grade and, and I played against, um, it was against the Bulldogs in a trial match and I actually hooked against George Paponis, who was a current Australian Australian hooker. And at the end of the game, um, uh, Lenny Stacker offered me a contract and I said, yeah, well, you know, I'll take it. And uh, I think it was a, a whooping $4,000, I think. <laughs> so... Uh, so then um, uh, what happened from there is he went back to the club and to the committee and said, look, we're, we're just going to sign Roy Simmons up. And they said, no, we've got no more money. And so that carried on for another two or three weeks before they eventually found $4,000 to uh, to give me a run. But, uh, yeah, I was, I was down at South's trial and actually at the time and, and, as I said, got invited up quickly at a game. And, within, you know, real quickly I... Um, Decided, well, I'm a better chance here at 
Penrith. I'm, you know, I had a fifth grade trial with South, so I ended up playing 20 minutes of first grade. The, the next day. day. You know, so I like... <laughs> I thought I liked the chances here a bit better than South Sydney. Mate, how did it work back in those days? Were you you professional players but sort of trained amateur hours and a lot of guys worked at the same time? Or was it pretty much full-time footy back then? No, no. It was you, you trained, um, you know, during the season, you, you trained Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday morning, but Tuesday and, and Thursday of the night. And, and play on play on Sunday. So you held down a 40-hour 40 40 hour job and, you know, like someone from me moved down from the bush, didn't have too much. Um, you know, I'd, I'd even take um, as much overtime as I could. I worked out at Penrith Golf Course. I was a greenkeeper by trade. So I ended up getting a job out there, which you, you went and got on your own. You know, you, no one, you didn't get help with jobs or, or anything. It was, you know... You turn up Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday morning and play Sunday. And, uh, you know, as I said, after um, after the game on Sunday, you go across and have a dozen beers and then you'd be up at six in the morning and out mowing the, the, the lawns out at uh, Penrith Golf Course. Mate, what was, it, what was it like? So that's a pretty rapid uh, rise from bush footy effectively to playing first grade you know, for for Penrith Panthers. Plus, you've got the transition of moving from the bush to Coogee to Penrith, and then and then learning to be an elite player as well. Like, how was the transition at the time for you? Do you remember finding it difficult, or, or was it easy? And and you know, in terms of like moving from the bush to the city, how did you find that as well? Um, the the training I found, and I've always been. You know, one of the better trainers wherever, wherever I've gone, you know, well, as a player, not that I've gone too many places, but, uh, you know, I've always put a lot of hard work in the, in the training. Um, but when I come from the bush, coming down and, and adapting to the training, particularly the pre-season training, um, well, that, you know, that was, that was a hard yakka. Just, I, you know, I used to do a lot of things at home I thought were hard, but this just went to another level, you know, when I come down. So that was over the first couple of years of adapting to the training, I found the hardest, you know, just a different level, you know, a lot more professional and um, but like nowhere like it is now. But, uh, yeah, and, and things like um, moving down, you know, as I said, you, you, you got no help, um, you know, virtually with finding your own accommodation, like, you know, I went and seen an, another player and he said I could move in with him and I moved in with him and a couple of weeks later he um, uh, he moved out and, uh, and and sort of was there on my own again. And uh, so, um, but my wife, Leanne, she moved down. Wasn't my wife at the time, just my partner. And uh, we were, we, we sort of been... Um, We've been going out since we were bloody 15, 16 or something. So this stage, I think I turned 21, I think the day she moved in. And, uh, and, um, so, you know, um, Lamb went and got herself a job. Um, you know, she's worked with accountants before. So she went down and got herself a job. And, uh, and as I said, I got a job a couple of months before that. And, uh, you were just, 
virtually left to fend for yourself, for yourself, you know, find your accommodation, find your job. Uh, you know, it's 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 uh, nowhere as professional. I'd imagine, you know, if I, if I come down from, you know, Queensland and I was a current Australian rep, I probably wouldn't have had to find my own job and probably had nowadays would have, would have had some way to move in. Even but back then, even, I think, you know, but when you're a boy from the bush, come down and, you know, you just sort of trial and all that. You, you had to do everything of your own accord and it, it, it wasn't easy. What what um, was great for me, I, I went home to, um, uh, in the Christmas break, you know, we had pre-season a couple of months before Christmas break, so I went home to see mum and dad and uh, I was telling mum I was doing it pretty tough and she said, come out here and she had four years for four years, I think I only earned about $28 a week or something as an apprentice greenkeeper or 32 or something. I can't remember what it was, but I used to give 10 to mum every week for rent and board and all that. Anyway, she, she took me out the back and she said, uh, here's four years rent, mate. So. Oh, how good's that, mate? That was real handy. I tell you, I went back and could even have furniture and all them sort of things. <laughs> we could have oh, that's t- awesome. Yeah. So. Uh, that was a bit of a lifesaver, I can tell you. Mate, what was it like in the early days at Penrith? Because correct me if I'm wrong, when you first started playing regular first grade, Penrith weren't necessarily successful back then. And then when you ended up finishing, I think your last game, you scored two tries in the grand final and, and ended up winning it. So you've been on that journey from maybe not winning a lot to ending up winning the whole thing. What was what was that experience like? I could imagine that would have been very rewarding. Do you have any oh, memories or feelings from that time that stand out to you? Yeah, well, it's, it was a long time. It's, it's twelve years, you know. Like as you said, when I first come down the first year, you know, like occasionally, you know, we're we're at the time, you know, a mob of goers, and we'd go out and all try as hard as we could and all that, but. You know, sometimes when you run into, you know, some of the really good sides, you know, um, and you were off your game a little bit and they were on their game and you were running into the, you know, the St. George's and all that of, of the time and, uh, you know, you could you could easily get uh, 50 points but past you, you know, and uh, when that was happening and, you know, and, and towards the end of the year when the better sides... You know, the better sides, um, like Parramatta's and so on, like the Sterling's, Kenny's, Cronin's and all that, you know. I mean, we'd, you know, as I said, we, we try hard and, and do battle and you, but you know, when you've been beaten and the end of the season's coming that, and there's not long to go, um, you know, it got real tough. So I, I had a pretty, um, you know, and that, and that happened for, you know, quite a few years from when we first went down. So me personally, I just sort of set myself some goals of of things like winning the man of the match, if, you know, as often as I could, you know. And so I sort of, um, I mean, obviously wanted to win the games, but I thought the best way of winning the games is for me to be the best player, you know, and the end of the game. You know, I, I really got motivated and I had a lot of success with that. I, and I won a lot of them uh, was the players' players. That, that's what I thought was the most important thing. Definitely. So I motivated myself by just wanting to go out and be the players' 
player every week, you know, and and, and occasionally we, we we beat a couple of them top sides, but you no, know, it was tough. You know, we got the wooden spoon uh, one year and we run second, third, last, and all of a sudden, you know, then uh, then uh, gradually um, over the years, uh, our junior league kept getting bigger and better and all that. So um, uh, I think once we found the trick of using our own juniors instead of trying to bring in people from all over the place. I mean, you still brought in your, your top players because you might have been short in, you know, you might be short of a front row, you might be short of a full-back, a centre wing or whatever. Um, we'd still purchase a player. But Penrith's always been very successful when they've used their own their own people, you know, and, um, and, and brought them through and educated them from a young age. And all of a sudden, Penrith started to do that. They started to, you know, um, skill their young blokes and, uh, you know, from, you know, from the ages of 13, 14 and so on and bring them through and train them up professionally. And then all of a sudden when, you know, and all of a sudden the, the, the cart, Cartwright, Johnny Cartwright, the, the Guyers, uh, the Greg Alexanders, um, the Brad Fiddlers, um, you know, that, that first, Tier of like champion players, them them four blokes went away in the nineteen ninety kangaroo side. I think I just mentioned. I didn't mention um, on purpose, but them them four players. You know, blokes like Colin Vandervoort and Barry Walker and 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 players of that that all come through our system or were brought down here very young from the bush. When I say young, they're brought down as you know, when they, as soon as they finished their school and they went into the system as well. So, you know, that's that's always been the best. And even this year when they won the comp, again, um, a big part of it was our local juniors. So so when you won that, that first premiership, do, do you think it was just a matter of, of the timing of, of the club deciding we're going to develop our young players and bring them through? And they, they just all happened to peak and arrive at the same time and be in their prime. Is that where you put that that change down to? Yeah, for sure. You know, and I, I think uh, I'm probably giving myself a bit of a rap here, but I don't mean to. But I, I was lucky enough to play for New South Wales in 1986, and we won the series three nil. You know, and that that had never never happened. Um, we beat, beat Queensland at three years, so a lot of New South. Wales people made the Australian side and uh, and I was lucky enough to make the Australian side and I think that was good for for all the other juniors at Penrith even though I'm not a local junior I've been here played all my life here uh, um, and I you know I, I treat myself as a local you know so local junior and uh, I think by me getting into that side, you know, through the victory of New South Wales and, and whatever, then getting into Australian side, I think a lot of a lot of players like the you know the Greg Alexander, John Cartwrights, and, and and them sort of blokes, all of a sudden they believe that you know they say, well, look, we play with that little fat bugger every week, and we're all better than him. Why can't we? <laughs> why, why can't we make the side? You know, so as soon as they woke up, they could. They went straight past me. You know, <laughs> threw me out the door and kept going. And, uh, I suppose once, once if someone's never done something before, and then they see one of their own doing it, they go, "Oh, it's it's possible." 
Because you yeah, were the first Penrith player to play for the Blues, weren't you? Yeah, I was the first, uh, no, not for the Blues, for Australia. For Australia. Yeah. yeah Mate, um, the Blues, but not Australia. I want to ask you about the Blues shortly, but I, I want to ask a little bit more about that Premiership win. So um, when when we first uh, hooked this conversation up, I put a couple of posts on social media going, if anyone has any questions for Royce, please let me know. And I, I think I had about 10 messages from people going, tell tell the bugger he still owes me a beer. Mm-hmm. What What's that all about? Oh, well, silly enough, um, after the after the win and... Uh, so that was, um, you know, my last game in the NRL. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm a bit carried away on up on the stage and, you know, I'd like to have a drink with everyone after the game. Well, and to be quite honest, mate, I've, I think in Penrith itself, I think I've done them about three times over. That they mustn't be Pen- they mustn't be locals, I don't think. Oh, that's awesome. But so, so you, I can be anywhere. Um, in the world, and and you know, I, I've been like in a Y walking down the street, and someone yelled out, "Simmons, you still owe me a beer." And <laughs> I've had it. Doesn't matter where you go, there's always someone who hasn't forgot. So I've tried as I've got older, I've changed the rules. They're going to buy me a beer. Yeah, it's a good. I was going to say yeah. it's a good tactic to get free beers nearly everywhere you go. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, do you have any do you have any memories from that grand final that stick out to you? Any obviously you scored two tries your last game as a Panther. Like, is there any like how do you look back upon that that day that week in your life that year? Anything stand out? Oh, to me it was a relief. To be honest, I I was I remember in the bus going home and Chris Mortimer who played with us for 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 a few years he was. Uh, he played the previous year, but he retired. He was in the bus coming back with us, and he said, "You don't look too excited." And I said, "Mate, I'm just relieved. I feel that good, but I'm just not excited. I'm just relieved that I finally won a grand final. Because I mean, there's a lot better player than me that's never won a grand final. And uh, you know, I think when you always think that it's just going to happen, that you know, it, it took for that that final game, but." Uh, during the game, I just, um, uh, I just, you know, I thought Greg Alexander was just outstanding through the game. I remember that how he just took control of the game and just, you know, his kicking game was exceptional. And he, he you know, he even kicked a field goal at the very vital time to, you know, put us one point in front. And um, then he kicked the gold at the last, the last conversion that meant that they couldn't beat us. It was only like a few a minute to go or something. So I, I I just remember all the things he did in the game were just, you know, you know, he was outstanding, you know, people um, you know, uh, um come to me all the time and say, Oh, you, you know, you should have been man of the match and I think you must have been watching the wrong game here, people. I said, I think Greg Alexander was man of the match. He was he was just sensational and uh um, you know, we lo- I know we lost our way a little bit um, uh, after I scored the first try. We sort of got a bit excited. And we went away from our our game game sort of plan, what we were going to do and how we we're going to do it. We went away from that, but um, we were lucky. Half time come and we were let we were 
we could get inside and settle down and talk about things and get things um, organised. And, and then we went back out and uh, uh, we, you know, it was a Mark guy got sin bin for 10 minutes and honest to God, it was a try. To this day, no one's ever, ever been able to tell me why it wasn't a try. He got sin bin for, for uh, saying a few words to the referee about it not being a try and he got sin bin. And that's when uh, Alexander really took over the game. And we were playing a champion side. Canberra was just a freak side, you know, like Stephen Walters, you know, Ricky Stewart, Bradley Clyde, Mal Meninga. And the, and the list just just goes on, you know. There's another, you know, of just champion players, you know, and uh, um, Glenn Lazarus, and it, it just goes on. And to beat them, we had to play for that. There's a 30-minute period in the second half where even today, watching the modern-day players today, how they can control a game, and we weren't far away from it. We just... We virtually just took the ball off Canberra for about 30 minutes through Alexander's kicking. And we played very close to the perfect game of football. Um, and we only just beat them then. They were a champion side. And that's that was what so, was so pleasing, I think, about winning the grand final is at the end of the day, um, we knew we beat the best, you know, and, and they were certainly the best up to, to that game. What were the celebrations like in Penrith for the next day, week, month, year? I could imagine that would have been all time after that game. Yeah, I don't think I got home for a day or two. And, and uh, the wife wasn't over happy, I don't think. And uh, <laughs> But anyway, we uh, yeah, the whole town, like coming back, um, it, it's... Even this year, pretty similar. It went off this year, to be honest. Uh, but and it was during COVID. But cars were just driving around the streets, bipping horns and carrying on. But it just reminded me of the '91 Grand Final a bit. Like we we're coming along the the M4, and people had banners across the road, all made up from one to the end of the M4 to the other. Uh, and I was panicking a bit because I was worried about driving through the banner and and people you know, getting pulled under the, the bus. I was petrified because there's people everywhere along the M4 and then we got back to the club. Well, you know, it's a massive club, Panthers, but, you know, there was just no room for anyone else. They just had to stop them and every room was chockers and we went from one room to another room to another room and, you know, they greet everyone and say good day. It was a, yeah, it was a pretty special um, oh, 48 hours or so and, uh, but uh, yeah, I'd, I uh, was then it all become we we had breakfast. I know we had breakfast the next day without going to sleep, and I think we went through that nearly the next day. So it was a pretty uh, it was a pretty big day by everyone. But uh, we we enjoyed it. The town enjoyed it, and uh, and fortunately they still talk about it, which is great. And we've had two grand finals since, and. Uh, um, you know, but I, I don't compare the sides at all. Everyone was their own time, you know, and it's like every, people say to me, could, could you think you could beat the current players? And I said, no, they beat us by 100. You know, they're too big, they're too strong, they're too fit, they're too this, they're too everything. Yeah. And, 
and, and everyone says, oh, and I say, but listen, it's like the world. Everything gets better. Cars get better. Your food gets better. Everything gets Medication gets better. Everything gets yeah. And the footballs get better. It's just, that's just how it is. And uh, because you're more advanced and you're able to prepare yourself better for, for whatever you're doing. Now tell me what it was like to get picked to play for the Blues for the first time. Yeah, well, that, that was uh, 1984. Yeah. And, and uh, um, we actually played at the, at the cricket ground. Um, and I just, and I was thinking, well, the first scrum is just going to be on. And it was. And it, and it never hardly stopped. <laughs> the whole game was, they were brutal games. It was just, you know, and it was the game at the cricket ground where the, the cricket ground was just covered in water. And we were in the game and it was nothing too much about the game. And we're, we were in it and, um, and, uh, like just, Someone chipped, I can't think who chipped the ball, come off the crossbar and Greg Dowling caught it on his fingers underneath the post. It hit the crossbar and went straight down, didn't go up. It hit the crossbar and went down. Greg Dowling, or it might have went up, you know, for a metre or so, but it went down really quick and uh, Greg Dowling caught it in his two little fingers, I think, and scored under the post, which was the the difference in the game, really. and uh, that was game two. That was the first game I got picked. And then we went to Queensland and uh, in in game three and we won that one, but we lost the series 2-1, yeah. What, uh, was State of Origin as, as big and, and, you know, it's huge now, but was it as big back then as it is now or was it something that developed over time? No, it was massive back then. It, look, it could even be big. Look, I wouldn't even be surprised if it was bigger than now, as in the – the people following and getting behind it and uh, and uh, the hatred of the two sides. Like a lot of it was a lot of, lot of fighting in them, you know, before you got sent off for sin bin. So, you know, nearly every scrum was a punch on and uh, and it was a, it was a fear. Yeah. And it, the games were so much quicker than club football back then. You know, it just it went to another level. You had the best of the best playing and... Uh, the speed you you know play a club game, then go to that, then come back to a club game. It was just it was amazing how much slower the club games were compared to, to the getting all them you know the getting the, the best players out there and playing it. And the I don't know it was the atmosphere too. Like you go up the uh, up to Queensland, the atmosphere. You know I think one game there I think in '85. Um, I wasn't playing that particular game, but I think they threw a lot of bottles onto the field. And I think yeah. they, were, they were all directed at New South Wales heads. They weren't, they weren't full, so you could have a quick drink. Uh, they were aimed at you. So, but yeah, it was just um, – and, and just going to a game, like I remember 84 and, and 86, 87, when you actually drove – you got in your bus and you went from your – from the motel at the Suncorp Stadium, we, we were driving up some roads, and they would they were either side rocking the the, the bus. The bus could hardly move because wow. it had fans either side of it, and the the bus was actually rocking. And I'm thinking, bloody hell, where are we going here? This is you know one of our 
one of my first games when I wasn't used to it. And it was it was frightening, I tell you. You know, <laughs> when you're going out, you know, you you know, you you know, you've got to be uh, you know, ready to throw a few early and uh you know, every tackle you made had to be hard. And every time you run the ball, that had to be hard. And, you know, I think State of Origin just got that way. It's pretty simple. We run hard and tackle hard. And, then, uh, you know, people say that's old school. But at the end of the day, that's eventually what happened, you know. It was a hard game. What, what was but, bigger for you, getting picked to play for Australia or getting picked to pay, play for New South Wales? No, it's Australia without any doubt. Um, and... Um, you know, don't get me wrong, I playing for New South Wales, we had to play for New South Wales and you had to beat Queensland University to get in to the to the test side unless you were, you know, unless you were one of the greats, you know, that like the Wally Lewis's and the Brett Kenny's and the Peter Sterling's and then well obviously they, they made the sides anyway, but uh, but you know, to get to the Australian side for someone like me, I had to get in and make sure we 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 got a series win up, which led to me getting picked for uh, for Australia. You know, but no, there's you know I often hear people say oh, I'd, I'd rather play for my state than my country, but no way in the world for me. It's not even like don't get me wrong, I give me all my best for New South Wales. I want to do, but there's nothing better than playing for your country. No, nothing, nothing at all. What um, what memories stand out from from your time playing for Australia or New South Wales? You know the the characters. I, I couldn't imagine back then. You know you didn't have the media scrutiny, the social media, and you know, things like that around the game. So so you would have played with some of the the great characters of the sport. You know what what moments, what people stand out for you from your time playing for the Blues and the Kangaroos? Oh well. We- if you if you can talk about it, <laughs> yeah, no, no, I can, no, I can talk. Look, all the boys were, you know, fantastic. We like we went away on a, you know, like the kangaroo tour, and uh, so uh, in nineteen eighty six. So, um, you know, they, they said we need a car, so we got over there. So four of us threw in. There was Wally Lewis, Gene Miles, Stephen Roach, and myself. I don't. So two Queenslanders, two New South Wales. So we. We went and bought ourselves some little yellow bomb that we paid 200 quid for. I think we threw $50 in each. Um, and and when we'd go somewhere, uh, we'd, uh, we thought someone else might break into or anything. My job was to get on the roof and jump up and down so the roof went down level with the, level with the seats. <laughs> then... So no one could pinch our car. So then, it, then at the end, uh, push it up. My job was to get in at fifty feet under because I was a small and and push push the seats back up so so the bigger boys could get in. Well, they did help me squash it a bit, but my job was get in and push them all back up because uh, you, know, you imagine big blocker Roach and Gene Miles, someone as big as them, trying to get in unless we got the thing back up. But you know, I, I was just thinking, and how would the like. The car, like we just, and the the people at the motel used to come to us. Please don't put the cars in the car park. We, we don't want to scare people away. We want to come and stay. You know? so we, we'd have to park the car cars out the back somewhere. And uh, yeah, it, it was just 
it like uh, it was funny things that never, you know, never hurt anyone else. I think you know they're they're the good characters, you know, and uh, you know I, I I never got to play against or with you know uh, Alfie Alfie Langer, but uh, you know he's 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 a character. I've got to know. I've I've been I've went back to the Caxton pub after taking like later on in life taking some sponsors up to watch you know the Origin matches, and uh, you come back and here's Alfie. Um, dancing on the table, and uh, and everyone's taking him over. It, like the the security guards are taking him over a beer, so he can have a beer while he in between he's dancing. <laughs> so he's dancing on the stage, and everyone watches him. And next thing, uh, someone else gets up and uh, the joining. You know, some local bloke in the pub gets up. Well, two seconds later, he's grabbed by the collar and the bottom of the trousers and thrown straight out the front door. Alfie <laughs> continues to sing and carry on, you know. That's, uh, you know, I mean, all, and everyone's enjoyed it, watching him dance and thing, but they're the, you know, they're the good things I remember, things that uh, never hurt or, or or offend anyone, but, you know, you, you can get a, a good good laugh out of them, you know. And I'm, I'm sure guys like Wally Lewis or Alfie Langer could pretty much do anything in Queensland and, and be fine. You know, well, I learned that day back then. Yeah, Hey, tell me about transitioning into coaching. So you finished with Penrith in '91, and then the next year you were coaching over in England. Was that was it literally like that? You went from player to coach overnight. Yeah, yeah. Um, if I had me time all over again, I'd probably still. If I had me time again, I, I probably still would have over to England because I think, um, uh, you know, over there, again, it wasn't um, at the time there wasn't a lot of money in the footy and it wasn't, it was still very much part-time over there. But obviously the, the crowds, they turn up and they, they love their footy in England. It's unbelievable how much passion the, the, the supporters have got over there, the sing and chant and, the atmosphere, you know, I coach Hull, the atmosphere, I think they'd only get about 15,000 in, but you honestly, you'd think there was 50,000 in there, you know, and uh, so the the atmosphere and everything. But um, oh, it was good over there because I went over and I had the, to, the coach uh, on my own. I had, you know, I had an assistant coach, uh, and I and I had a second team coach, but I was just the first team coach. I was the trainer, you know. I was a vid, video cutter upper, and you you name it. I was every, everything because you know I was the only full time person there. Um, so you know anything social, I had to organise it. You know, um, players all come in of a night, you know, and so you know. I, so I started to open gyms about 5.30 in the morning, you know, and bring the boys in and they do their weights before work and then and then train um, after work to do some ball, ball skills and whatever, whatever. And so I had to do everything. So I, I think I learned a bit there. But then I come back to Australia and... Uh, 
who had a little bit more money in their game by then. And uh, that's when I should have come back, uh, in my opinion, and, and worked under someone like Tim Shans, who I did years later when I was at the Tigers. I went to the Tigers as an assistant coach. And there was me and Tim. I, I wish that period I come back to Australia, uh, and I think it was a great learning skill in England, but when I come to Australia, I was... I think I was ready to do an, another apprenticeship, a bit much like the first one, but that was on my own. Then I needed to, I would have went with someone like Tim Shearns, who was just outstanding to work with. Even, you know, I think I, I would have went with Tim maybe and worked for maybe four or five years or something like that, then took over, over coach. And I think coming back to Penrith originally was a little bit hard for a few reasons. One was you come back, you were coaching some of the players you played with. Yeah, um, you know, um, which is not easy for both parties, you know, um, and uh, you know, I, I just didn't have enough probably education in them early years, in particular. Then, then, then it got a bit hard again because then Super League come along, and uh, we went with Super League, and um, at the end of it all, I think. The salary cap used to be about 1.8 or something, and I think it went to about 10 million or something. It was something ridiculous. Went, or well, maybe not that much, but maybe six or seven million, something like that. And and I lost my two best players because they went with the ARL, Brad Fiddler and Matt Singer. I got to be two representative players anyway. When I lost them, two representative players, and and then we had to cut cut back from a salary cap of sort of, I think, six and a half million to four million or something. So I lost my two best players and and uh, you end up with a worse side and we're spending a heap more money. So then we had to sort of, for the next few years, you couldn't buy too much. You had to reduce your money and everything. So, again, I think through that period, of, you know, someone um, with a bit more experience like me, Tim Shearns, I think I should have been working with him then instead of later on and picking up all the, um, you know, picking up, you know, ideas and how to handle people and all that a little bit better. I would have, I would have just changed. Oh, look, I love me, me time coaching. Don't get you wrong. But if I had it again, I would just, I would just change it around a little bit like that. Tell me about Tim Sheens. Cause it, to me, like I'm, I'm not a big rugby league fan, but, to, to me, Tim Sheens is, is one of the best coaches in Australia in any sport, really. What's it like working with him? What's he like as a human? What, what, what did you take away from working with him? Well, he just gives you a lot of confidence, you know, uh, and he, and he, and when he like explained, he gives you a lot of confidence in a lot of ways. Like even sometimes you'd be talking to the players. And uh, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm and he and he'll say, "Look, I was talking to Royce, and he said I did this at training the other day, or I did this during the game." But Royce said to me, "I think we could have handled that difference." Well, I, I thought things like that would just stay between me and the coach, but he he'd tell the coach he'd tell his players that he got something wrong, and if I had done it. Like Royce said, you know, I mean, he'd get things a lot righter than I did. But you know, if, if he did make a mistake, he tell he just tell the whole 
team that he made a mistake and if he had his time again, he would have done it this way or done it that way. When you went out, I was the defensive coach and when I went out to do the defence, he wouldn't even come out. I mean, he'd sometimes come and sit in the stand and and watch it, but he he just had that much. That was what I owned. You go away with Simo. Like, obviously, we sat down before and worked out how we were going to defend and what style we are going to use and what we are going to do in certain situations. And we dealt with all that as a team. But when I went onto the field, as I said, occasionally he'd come and sit in the stand and watch. He wouldn't do it. He, but he just, you wanted to work for him. You know, you, you, you feel good around him, you enjoy it. And uh, because he shows so much faith in you, you try really hard to repay him. I like it when coaches show vulnerability. Like yeah. one of the things that I hate more than anything is if I, if someone asks you a question and you pretend like you know the answer rather than admitting you don't know. And it sounds like Tim Sheens is one of those type of guys. If, if he doesn't know something, he's going to admit it, but he'll, he'll find it out yeah. and, and he'll admit he'll go, when he makes mistakes. Yeah. He goes looking, he goes looking for the answers, you know, and, uh, and he doesn't mind asking his, Asking his assistant coach, "What is the answer?" You know, that's that's what made it made it so easy to work for. Was it weird for you coaching Penrith after your history as a player there? Obviously, you've mentioned it was weird coaching guys that you played with, but but in terms of how you felt going back to a club that you won a grand final at, that you captained at, what what was that like? Because I'm going through something similar myself in my own coaching career. I'm, I'm coaching at the club that I just finished playing at. And it, and it is weird, uh, even though the boys are they're great boys and they're very respectful and very you know they're very kind about it. But how did you deal with that at the time? Um, now we, we we're talking about coaching against no and, coaching for pen, coaching for no, look um, no I I loved it um, uh, as I said but I again. I'd do it um, a bit later, you know, and I'd let them players, like, educate myself um, with someone while their other players were still at the club. Then, you know, then if you took over, oh, my whole, my, my dream was I'd still be coaching Penrith right now. That would be my dream. It's a, I, I just... Uh, um, I just I like what the Penrith people are all about, you know, and and uh, so I love just um, you know mixing and everything with with the Penrith people, and I just uh, so yeah, I, I know the the best thing I would could have ever done and did ever do was was the coach Penrith and uh, have me time here again, but I, I just would have set it up a little bit different. Uh, but yeah, I, I I don't feel it strange at all. But can I say this? When I helped Tim at the West Tigers, I come down here. I was hoping I'd kick their ass. Don't worry. I wasn't. Was no one saying. A lot of people just say to me, "Oh, who will you bury for the day?" You've got to be kidding. You know, like the competitive spirit just takes over when you, when you, you know, uh, you're playing against any side, let alone your your old side. You know. Did you win a premiership with the Tigers as well? Yeah, as an assistant coach with Tim Shearns, yeah. What what, what feels better? 
What feels better, winning it as a coach or winning it as a player? Um, or how would you how would you well, compare them? I, I reckon as head coach it'd be unreal, but even as an assistant coach, I, that was a great time in my life. Yeah, that was fantastic because we, uh, it, you know, a lot of young kids come through at the time, you know, and and just enjoyed. Um, I really enjoyed doing a lot of skills with 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 young players in particular and to, you know and, and just working with them and trying to upskill them and and at the same time trying to you know get some toughness into them as well uh, and uh, so I really enjoyed you know working you know with the young players that come through over there you know at the time you know it was and not all of them went on to, not all of them went on to being the grand final start and side up, but a lot of a lot of a lot of kids over there at the time, you know, like Bronson Harrison and uh, and and the, the kids like Robbie Farrer, of course, and Benji Marshall, and uh, you know, and 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 a lot of and all there was a the Balmain had a really good uh, um, under eighteen side, and the West Tigers had a really good under eighteen side, so they both come together, and out of that, there's about um, quite a few players that went on to play a lot of a lot of first grade game, and and, and quite a few end up in the grand final side. So and it was just great to work with young players and upskill them and everything. Then, and even when when you uh, retired and you sit back and you watch and you see some of the boys that um, here at Penrith and at the Tigers, you know, you go on and you see them play, you know, two hundred. 250 first grade games and you think bloody hell I helped him a bit when he was a kid and hopefully a little bit so I, you know, a little bit of skill I might have showed him and maybe a little bit of toughness, you know, whatever maybe it just helped a bit make that kid go around and, and be so successful so I, um, they're just about all I had it now all the boys I had something to do with their father times just starting to get them so uh so, but anyway, yeah, it's, it's really enjoyable. Mate, tell me about the big walk you're doing. How, how did it come about? Obviously, you've, you've had some health stuff come up. Can you can you talk about a little bit about how the walks come about and, and why you're doing it? Uh, well, you know, I, I had a few uh, I noticed a few problems starting to develop with myself, and um, so I went and seen. Uh, my my own doctor, Dr. Normie Southern, and um, he said, oh, I will send you and get some, some tests and sent me off um, to see a specialist. And, uh, you know, then um, the specialist said, come and see him, of course, and I went down and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, he's going to say, oh, well, you know, give you a few tablets for this and a few tablets for that and everything will be right. That, you know, I walked in and sat down and uh, um, the doctor said, oh, you've got a couple of white marks here. He said, they, they could have been concussions that you might have had, you know. Um, he said, they're over there. He said, but here, this is um, this is all Alzheimer's. And I just went, 
I was just gone, you know. Um, As you would be. Yeah, so I wasn't expecting that. I was just expecting a, you know, a couple of this and a couple of that. And then uh, I was told I had it. So then the doctor spoke to me for another five minutes. So I can't remember. I just sat there and agreed. And I didn't even know what he was saying, to be honest. I was yeah. running away. So then I went home and um, had to tell my wife and my family, which was very tough. Uh, so, um, yeah, so that's how it all started. And I thought the doctor, I remember he did say to me, one part I remember him saying, he said, you, you've got to um, exercise. Exercise is really good for it. And I thought, well, I'll, you know, I'll do a bit of running and walking. And um, I, I used to run run all the time, but I thought I'll start doing a bit more bit of walk and so it went a bit longer and I you know and go up through the mountains and the fresh air and everything and all that sort of stuff and uh so um yeah so that's that's I started to do all these walks then I thought well I'm doing these walks and uh and it's better when I had my mates with me you know and now a former coach who gave me my first opportunity Len Stacker he he comes walking with me in a and Cole Bentley, who played in the centres with us in the 91 grand final, uh, he comes for a walk. And Brad War from the early early 80s, my old front row partner, he comes for a walk. And um, Alan Mayer has walked, worked here at Panthers as a, as a strapper manager for, um, I don't know, <laughs> nearly as long as me. So, uh, so we all go for a walk and... And and the banter on the walk's great, you know. Everyone's bagging each other and putting a heap of crap on each other, and and that, and that's good. That's good because you've got to be you've got to be when you walk and you've got to be on top of your game. Otherwise, there's some champion like Len Stacker, champion bagger. You know, he'll get you down if you're not on top of your game. You know, you've got to you've got to be ready to fire back. So, you know, we I, I walk across. I meet him under under. The, the M4 bridge. So I've done about 3K before I get there and then I do another 3K coming home. But then we go for about a, you know, anything you wouldn't know. Could be 15, 16, sometimes 10, about 20. We go for a big walk. And and I was doing all that and I thought, well, you know, every time I've heard about the Alzheimer's, the dementia, no one seems to have a, a like there's no cure for it. No one. I read an article on a on a gentleman who said 30 years ago he said he was six months away from solving the, the dementia, and now 30 years later he's still six months away from it. So no one seems to know what causes it. You know, it's a it's it, it's highest death to women. There is, you know. Uh, um, so and, and second to men, so you know that's why I, I, I don't roll too much with uh, concussion. You know, a lot of people say, you know, concussions from football will bring it in. Well, you know, I, I'm no expert at this, but I've never seen any evidence from it. You know, and you know, not too many women play rugby league. You know, going going back 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, not too many up in the boxing ring and fight. Not too many of them play Aussie rules. Going back a fair few years, they play it now and they play it good. 
um, but you go back a few years. So uh, I, I don't, uh, I've never seen any to say concussions caused it and if I had my opportunity to play footy again, my bloody oath, I'd do it. So the, the, the big walk. So you're going to walk from Goolagong to Panthers Stadium? Yep, I'm going to. To raise, to raise some money, to raise some money. Are you starting a foundation? Is, is that yeah. what I heard? Yeah, the, the, the Royce Foundation, Royce Simmons Foundation will get off the ground. Oh, well, we hope it. we've applied for it and uh, we've done all the paperwork and we're hoping in the next two weeks that the Royce Simmons Foundation gets going. Yeah. Awesome. And and that so you're gonna time that from Goolagong to Panther Stadium. Is that for, for which game is that? Uh, that's for the, it's it's on the twenty seventh. I think it's the Cowboys. Okay. It's on the twenty seventh of May. We we head off on the seventeenth of May. Yeah. We have, we average about you know, thirty K a day. Uh, and um, and we're doing a lot of uh, we're stopping at a lot of little, a lot of the towns along the way, and we're supplying some guest speakers, myself, and you know, whoever else is available, walking with me that day. You know, um, you know the Brad Fidlers, the Kurt Fernleys, the Paul Sirenas, Stephen Roach, and whoever. There's a long list of things, so uh, we'll supply a couple of guest speakers and go to one of the, the town clubs or whatever. And any money we actually raise on them nights will go to their junior league clubs. Awesome, uh, awesome. And then, um, so we, we give. I want, want to support that because country rugby league, uh, you know, needs a bit of support right now. So, um, uh, so we're going to support them, and they can have some functions, but we don't want them. To, don't know, you know. Look, if they if they say to us, look, we we met the. To earn ten dollars the night, we've earned eleven. They want to give me a dollar. Well, that's you know, if they want to do that, at the point we will. But I don't really want. We want that money to go to the junior leagues and uh, and to make them happy and bright and make sure they've got plenty of gear and equipment to help them. Yeah, hey, awesome. I did the drive from. I went and visited Chris and Sally a couple of weeks ago and drove back from from Cowra all the way through the mountains. So I assume you're going that way. It's a beautiful part of the world. I, I could imagine that's going to be a lot of fun doing that. Can people donate to to the foundation? They can. They can donate, but till we get it going, till we get it going, um, uh, the money now will go. Uh, if we can send any money donations you want to make now. So we go to, you just got to go to the memorywalk.com.au. So memorywalk.com.au. Click on find an event. Scroll down to my way events and click on Royce's big walk. So that's a bit of a thing we'll try to, but um, we'll what go I'll do again. For anyone listening, what I'll do is I'll, I'll put the link to that in the show notes. So anyone who's listening yeah. who wants to donate and support it, um, I'll make sure the link's connected to this episode. Um, Royce, that's all I had for you, mate. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I really, really enjoyed talking to you. Um, I'll, I'll make sure we get this out everywhere and try and promote the walk as much as possible. And, um, and honor, mate. Thank you very much for this. Right, and thank you. And thanks to me, our mate up there, Chris Cummins, too. He's, Donated large amount of money to the to the the walk and thank him 
Yeah, I'm mad. Appreciate it. I'll, I'll make sure that um, I'll send this to him today so he can have a yeah, look. Yeah, and uh, it will be and tell him to send me down some Caroline, will you? I will. I will. Right, great. Th- thanks, Royce. Have a great day, mate. And I really appreciate it again, mate. Thanks, mate.